You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. If you don't know the Bible too well, we're in the very beginning of the Bible, so you're just going to flip over a couple pages and go to Genesis 2. So last week we started off and we started this origin story that begins with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we talked about how the Bible presents this supernatural worldview where God is outside the order of nature and he speaks and stuff happens. And he creates a creation that is good. It has this order to it where the sun and the moon and the the sky and the ocean and everything is ordered and it's creative and it's good. And then when he creates humanity, it's not just good, it's very good. It's very good. Very good. And he creates man and he creates man and his name is Adam, which actually has a connotation that means ground. And so Adam is created out of the ground, but for the first time in God's creation, something is not good, and it's not good for man to be alone. And so Adam, who is formed out of the ground, goes into a deep sleep, and Eve is formed out of his rib, and they are partners. They are both image bearers of God, and they need one another, And they're created so that they're both humans, but they're uh, not the same type of human. They need one another. And Matthew Henry puts it this way. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And as they come into partnership, they are given this unique role of making more image bearers of God. An image bearer of God is a human who is created with dignity and honor to reflect who God is. And Adam and Eve are called to make more image bearers. And they do this through sexual intercourse. And their parts fit together. And as they come together in this intimate act, they have the possibility of creating new image bearers to fill the earth with more humans who reflect God's glory. And God looks at this, and he looks at everything that he's done and everything that he's made, and he says, this is, this is very good. And then he blesses Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, fill the earth with more image bearers. Rule over the garden, tend to the Garden of Eden, name the animals, and be my special king and queen in this Garden of Eden. And we ended with this blessing that God speaks over them. But today the the tone changes because God is not asking or he's not blessing them. He's asking them very difficult questions. And we'll see several questions in this passage, but three of them are in this next slide. God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And what is this that you have done? And so we can tell that the tone changes pretty quickly here in the second chapter of the Bible. I'm going to pray for us, and Philip's going to come forward and read from Genesis 2 and 3. God, we pray that we would get to know you better and know your story and know who we are as we look at 
the fall of mankind into sin. And we pray that you would shape us this morning, that you would help us to understand more about identity and sexuality and relationships as we dig deep in this story. In your name we pray, amen. Philip's going to start off with Genesis 2, verse 10. Yeah, we're going to be jumping around a lot, so follow along with me in your Bibles or overhead. Genesis 2, verses 10 through 12. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure. Bedellium and Onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. September 26, 2003. 
It was a weekday morning, and the sun was not up yet. It was early morning. I was still asleep, and I heard my phone buzzing. 2003, it was like one of those Nokia brick phones that you had to use like T9 texting for, if you know what that means. But I, I rolled over, and I saw that it had been buzzing early in the morning, and I noticed that it had several missed calls, and I knew something was up. And I looked, and it was my place of work. I worked as a social services director, a social worker at a medical care facility that was mainly service, serving uh, elderly people in the community. And so I called in to my work and the voice on the other line sounded frantic and it was Eric from physical therapy and Eric said, John, there's been a fire. We need you to come in right now. Well, my adrenaline started pumping and I hopped up out of bed and I went into the living room and turned on the television and there on every network in Nashville was my place of work and a fire had happened in this medical care facility. Well, I got ready and I jumped in the car. It was still dark and I drove to where my place of work was and I, I got into the parking lot and jumped out of my car and as soon as I got in my car, I had this memory of this reporter standing on the sidewalk and I, I just remember him because it was dark out and the cameraman had this big bright light shining through the darkness onto the reporter. And I thought, man, this is not good. What happened? And I went inside into the facility and in the moment I walked into the front door, the smell of smoke just hit me. It just hit me and the, the fire, it was obviously out or no one would be in the building but that stench of smoke just came right into my nostrils. And I went and I found my boss and I said, well, what has happened? And she said, there, there's a fire here last night. I said, how many people were in the building? She said, we had 116 people and we lost some of them. Some of them died in the fire. The next hours, I don't really remember because we were just so frantic as the sun came up. We were trying to figure out where all the rest of the patients had gone, which hospital they were at. We were calling families and making some very difficult phone calls to family members, and we were just trying to figure out which way was up. And in that craziness, it didn't really hit me what happened. I mean, I was going on adrenaline for that day and several other days because it was just crazy. The fallout from that fire just kind of became my new normal, and we were frantically trying to get on top of the situation. And it didn't really hit me what happened for several days. Several days later, things calmed down, and we were able to help all the patients get into different facilities. Obviously, because of the fire, we were not going to open the facility back up. But at that point, several days later, someone said, do you want to go upstairs to see where the fire happened? We had a four-story facility, and the fire had happened on the second story. And I said, yeah, I, I, I do want to go. I want to go up there. And so we couldn't take the elevator. The elevator had been closed because of the fire. And so we took the stairwell from the lobby up to the second floor. And I remember, as soon as I opened the door, the smell of smoke just hit me again. Because I'd gotten so used to what it smelled like on the first floor, but as I got closer to where the origin of the fire was, it was like I had never smelled it before. And the stench of smoke, even though it was gone, hit me again. And I stepped out from that doorway 
onto the hallway, and right under my feet, I remember hearing crunch. And what had happened was it had gotten so hot on the second floor that some of the picture frames had somehow cracked and the glass had shattered onto the floor. And so not only was I getting hit with this stench, but now I'm stepping on glass underneath my feet. And I looked up at the ceiling, and the ceiling had smoke marks or black, black marks from where the fumes and the fire had gone. And while I kind of faintly remember that, there's one thing that when I think of that fire, every time I think of this one particular object, this one particular object on the wall, a thermostat. And the thermostat, you know, it's about two inches wide and maybe three inches tall, and it was right on the wall across from the room where the fire started. And rather than controlling the fire, this thing had been melted by the fire. And so it wasn't just three inches long, it was more like six or seven inches long, like an icicle. And that just stuck with me, because I thought, here's this thing that's meant to control the temperature, and it just got destroyed. It got destroyed by the fire and the heat. And I thought to myself, well, this, this is the spot. This is where it all went wrong. Right here, this is where it all went wrong. And as I smelled the smoke and I looked at all the empty rooms that used to have patients in them, and as I felt the glass under my feet, and as I saw that thermostat, I thought, well, now it's really hit me what happened. Because of this fire, this building has been destroyed. Because of this fire, lives have been altered forever. Because of the presence of that fire, things are not the way they are supposed to be. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. Today we're looking at Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and what this is typically called is the fall of humanity into sin. And just like the flicker of fire started in that building, so we see the first spark of sin in God's good world. And just like that fire brought destruction, just like that fire altered lives, so when sin sparks in God's world, it brings destruction and it alters every human life after that first spark. So I want to ask you, even as we look in this story, has it hit you what happened? Has it hit you what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? So that we now live in a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we think that is normal. And we have to talk about these things if we're going to talk about relationships and sexuality and identity. And the reason is, is because once Adam and Eve sinned and sin spread and things became not the way they're supposed to be, everything was scorched by sin. And so even as we talk about relationships and sexuality and identity, those things have been touched by the destructive effects of sin in our world. But while the fire was an accident, it turned out that it was just a hospital bed that caught on fire and there was really no one to blame. In fact, the maintenance man had done his routine maintenance on that bed like just a few days before and it had checked out. And the whole fire was just, it was just an accident. While that fire was an accident, our descent into sin was no accident. It was intentional rebellion against God. 
God had told them that there is one thing to avoid. Everything is free reign in the Garden of Eden, but there's just one thing to avoid, and that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God tells them not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because he wants them to trust him on what is good and what is bad. He doesn't want them to have their own sense of what's right and wrong apart from him. He wants them to trust him. But the serpent, who is a deceitful theologian, comes and says, did God really say? Did God really say not to touch the fruit from that tree? And Eve, at that moment, Eve, who had only known trust with God, her mind begins to wonder. And she begins to think, what would it be like if I could be independent from what God said and actually live on my own knowing the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? And there began a deception that happened in her heart based on the serpent. But it wasn't just that she was deceived. It's that she desired. It's that she actually wanted what God had forbidden. The story says the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable, desirable for obtaining wisdom. The very thing that God had forbidden looked good. It was desirable. She had an emotional reaction to it. And as we talk about things like relationship and sexuality and identity, we have to use caution because desire is not bad. And yet the very first time that desire is mentioned in the Bible, it's leading someone away from who God is and what God has commanded and what life should be towards what Satan, the serpent, wants. And so we have to think about desire and the desires that we have. They're not, they're not bad, but God has given us the ability to choose. And right here in the story, Eve is taken away from God's command so that she takes the fruit and she eats it. But we can't just blame Eve. We can't just blame Eve because if we read the story, it says that Adam, her partner, her fellow image bearer is standing right next to her the whole time. And if Eve's sin was action, Adam's sin was inaction. He watched his wife get deceived by the serpent and then desire the very thing that God said not to go after, and he did nothing. This is his soulmate, and he's silent. Eve takes the fruit and hands it to Adam and he holds that fruit and he eats it. And right here in this little story is the first spark of sin in God's good world. And it's no accident. In verse, in chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, God could not have been more clear. He says, and the Lord commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly what? Die. You'll certainly die. And then in 3, verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Uh, humanity's fall into sin was no accident. It was rebellion. It, it was defection. It was 
sin against the creator who had made them with dignity and honor and purpose. He had made them out of nothing and given them each other and given them this place of honor in his world. They had this relationship with him, this companionship with each other. He had made them as sexual beings so that they could reproduce and make more image bearers. But it all went wrong because of their rebellion against their creator. Has it hit you what happened? The spark of sin in the world and now everything after is not the way it's supposed to be. We are on this trajectory apart from God's design and God's plan. We live in this world as it is that God never made it to be, but it is that way because humanity rebelled and everything became scorched by the effects of sin. First of all, Adam and Eve's experience of themselves, that's the first thing we see, gets scorched by sin. For they had been naked and unashamed, and all of a sudden, as soon as they sin, they see their nakedness, they see themselves as they really are, and they're ashamed of themselves. They don't like what they see. They feel awkward. They feel insecure. Here I am, and it's not good enough. So what do they do? They cover over themselves with fig leaves and they hide. Do you ever feel that need to hide who you really are? Do you feel that, that fear of people can't see me for who I really am? And that need to cover over. You and I were not created to experience ourselves that way. We were created to be unashamed of ourselves. But just as Adam and Eve covered over themselves with fig leaves, so you and I wrestle every day with covering over who we really are. We keep people at a distance because we don't want them to know who we really are. We project an image of ourselves because that covers over who we really are. We, we use props like great cars or great clothes, and none of those things are bad, but we can use those things to cover over who we really are. We seek status and importance and positions because we don't want anyone to know our shame. If you've ever seen the movie The Greatest Showman, that entire movie is really about people trying to wrestle with their own shame. Being born in a low place in society or being born with a strange looking face, people throughout that movie are trying to figure out how to wrestle and hide their own shame. And Hugh Jackman in that movie as P.T. Barnum spends his life so driven, so trying to reach goals. And what is revealed later in the movie is he's really trying to cover over the shame of his past by projecting this image of fame and success. Shame is a powerful force, but it affects us all. But we need to know this. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Sin scorches our identity and our experience of ourselves. So now that we are marked by shame and wanting to hide, it affects our experience of being human, just like it does Adam and Eve. For when they hear God approaching, they're not waiting for him, they're hiding from him. They're hiding from them. And God asks Adam, where are you? Now, he doesn't say you all because he's not talking to Eve. He's talking to Adam, the first human being he created. And he says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, 
so I hid. And God, not designing man to be ashamed of himself, says, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Sin has scorched Adam and Eve's identity, but we're about to see that it scorches something else. Because Adam, the first time he saw his wife, he had delighted in her. He had felt complete with her, and they needed each other. They couldn't reproduce more human beings without each other. But now in his words, we're about to see that that delight and that need has gone to contempt. To she's the problem. She's dead weight in this thing. And Adam says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit. And I ate, but she gave me the fruit. And all of a sudden, Adam has turned on his wife. Sin has not only scorched their identity, but it has scorched their relationship, their view of themselves, but also their view of each other. And now Adam has contempt for the woman that God made just for him. And God turns to Eve and says, what is this you have done? And Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, she ate the one thing that God had told her not to eat. Adam ate the one thing that God told him not to eat. And at that moment, we see that sin has this deeply destructive effect in our world. It touches who we are in our identity. It touches our relationships. But not only that, it touches our role as image bearers. God sees the presence of sin in his world and pronounces a curse on the world with the presence of sin in it. In Genesis 3.16, he says this to Eve, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. We'll talk about that second sentence later, but that first sentence, if you can go back, that first sentence, Eve had this unique role, role in the world. She is the only one that could birth a new image bearer of God. And that was unique, and that was glorious, and there's many more glorious things about women, but that's a unique thing about women. And now she finds out that the very unique thing about her is going to come with much pain and much frustration. And her unique role as an image bearer of God falls under the curse of sin. So the very thing that she was gifted to do is going to be frustrating and painful to do because sin scorches everything. But not only that, it, it scorches Adam and his role. In Genesis 3, 17, the very next verse, it's God says to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles from you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Remember, Adam's name has, it's like a, it has a meaning that means ground. Adam came from the ground, and his role is to tend the ground, and now he finds that the ground is not going to cooperate with him as he tries to cultivate it. Rather, it's going to work against him. And his role in the world is going to be frustrating and painful. And not only that, the next verse, 19. You will eat by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. 
Since you were taken from it, you are dust and you will return to dust. Adam, whose name means something similar to ground, is going to die. And his ashes will return to the ground. Sin has affected their identity, their relationship, their role as their image bear, as image bearers, but now also their body. Sin is in their DNA. They were created to live forever, and now they're going to die and return to the ground. And stained with sin, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. They're banished from God's presence forever. Has it hit you what happened? That we were not created for the world as it is. We were created for another world. But we've lost that world. We were created for relationship with God in the Garden of Eden, but that is not the reality that we live in. Now we live in a world where everything has an element of not the way it's supposed to be. Every single thing has an element of not the way it's supposed to be because everything in this world has been tainted by sin and destruction. Last week, 30 or more human beings lost their life to shootings. And many of those killings were based on racial bigotry. And we look at that and go, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And as we look around the world, we see famine, we see oppressive leaders, we see genocide, and we go, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We see civil war, we see classism, and we see abuse, and we say, that's not the way it's supposed to be in this world. That's not the way it's supposed to be in God's good world. But the harsh reality is not only is the world not the way it's supposed to be, but we are not the way we're supposed to be. Our identity has been scorched by sin. The way we relate to each other has been scorched by sin. And as we talk about this sermon series, our sexuality has been scorched by sin. After you get out of Genesis 3, and if you continue reading in the book of Genesis all the way to chapter 50, you'll find that sexuality gets more and more scorched by sin as the book progresses. In fact, I was reading a book that is specifically entitled Sexuality in the Book of Genesis because there's so much in there about sexuality. And right after we get out of the book of Genesis, we, we see that a man doesn't take one partner, but he takes two. Two women for himself. And then quickly after that, we... We, we see that men don't see women as equal partners, but rather see them as someone to oppress. And we're just like five chapters in at this point. We're just two chapters post the fall of humanity. And as we, we get further in the book of Genesis, we see manipulation around sexuality. We see treachery in sexuality. We see love triangles. We see things that fit into the Me Too movement. And we begin to see sexuality expressed between man and man rather than woman and man. I'm going to leave that there and come back to that next week. But I will address it. And the reality is we hear all that stuff in the book of Genesis and we go, well, that's just normal. That's just the way life is. That's, that's my experience. That's your experience in a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. Has it hit you what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? 
that we as human beings were created for glory, yet we've been corrupted by sin. God gave us beauty as humanity, and yet we're broken people. When he created us, he had in mind dignity and honor, and yet we've departed from his design because of sin. We are people of Adam and descendants of Eve. We have been scorched by sin's corrosive force in our identity, in our relationships, in our sexuality, in in the way that we view ourselves, in the way that we view others, and even in the deepest desires that we have. They've been affected by sin because you and I are born into a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be, and we're born into this world as people of Adam and descendants of Eve. There's this bumper sticker that says, born right the first time. And it's a little bit of a jab at Christians and a little bit of a jab at Jesus because Jesus says you must be born again. You must be, have a spiritual rebirth. And so this bumper sticker is a little bit of a jab saying, no, 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 I was born right the first time. But the challenge with that is we don't think everyone in this room even was born right the first time. We think we were until we experience someone else's brokenness and we say, well, that person's jacked up. I'm okay. I was born right, but they certainly were not. But then what does that do? What does that say about us? And who are we to say, I'm okay, but you're not? Every one of us is born into this world, not the way we were supposed to be. And the irony of that, when we admit that, it actually gives us a framework for understanding people as they really are. Because people were created with dignity. Every person in this room has dignity and honor as someone created in the image of God. Some people say that we were, we were animals, but come on. We, were, we know that that is not true because we don't treat each other that way. When we see another human being, there's something beautiful about that person. Mike Mason in his book on marriage says, we often think that we're closest to God when we're out in nature. But if the image of God is true, then you're no closer to God than when you look into the eyes of another human being. And we know that. We know that as we see other human beings. That's why we're so sad by the shootings that happen because we say those people deserve dignity and respect and honor. They're created in the image of God. And yet at the same time, we know every person has issues. We are glorious, and yet we're gory. We are beautiful, and yet we are broken. And I think if you gave every human being an opportunity to admit who they really were, they would say, I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. And understanding that dignity, which we talked about last week, and the destruction that's in our lives that we're talking about this week, understanding the beauty and the brokenness are key as we move forward in talking about relationships identity, and sexuality. And so we've eased into this kind of slowly over two weeks, but we're going to really dig into it next week because I want you to understand where the spark first started. I want you to understand what happened before we start talking about these things. I want you to understand the design of God and the destruction of sin in our world that leaves nothing untouched. And I want you to understand that things are not the way they're supposed to be in this world. Sin has affected everything, including those things that we're talking about. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. 
And yet because of Jesus, things do not have to stay that way. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, but because of Jesus, they don't have to stay that way. Genesis 3.15, we hear about a descendant of Eve that will come. And this descendant will be different. Where Adam and Eve have followed the serpent, this one will fight the serpent. God says to Eve, or to the serpent, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring, between your descendant and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first clear mention of Jesus in the Bible. And right after the effects of sin come into this world, God promises that one would come to take on the serpent. And where Adam and Eve fell, he would fight. He would fight. But then God goes on to actually provide and cover for the shame of Adam and Eve. And in verse 21, it says this, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. An animal is sacrificed And God gives them the skins of those animals to cover over their shame. In Genesis 3.15, we see this descendant would come to fight. But in this covering with a sacrificial animal, we see the first hint of Jesus as a sacrifice who covers over our shame. You see, because of our first parents, we live in a world that is scorched, by sin, inhaling the fumes of living in a broken world, choking on our own shame, burned by our rebellion against our creator and destined for eternal death. But to human beings stuck in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, God says, I will not leave it that way because I will send my son Jesus. And Jesus, the rescuer, comes to reverse the curse of sin. He comes to save sinners providing grace that is not earned by being a sinless sacrifice on the cross so that we could be reconciled to our creator, not hiding in fear, not hiding in shame from God, but rather reconciled to him, living in relationship with him, not one of fear or shame, but one of love and trust and confidence so that at our deepest core of who we are because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to say shame. We can say love. God sees me as I am and he loves me. And what Jesus has done covers over my shame. Since we were scorched by sin, we are now clothed by Jesus. And when God sees us, he sees Jesus Christ, and as that really gets into our heart, we can begin to be healed by the effects of sin in our own life and begin living according to God's design in our identity, in our relationships, and in our sexuality. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But know this, friends, if you have tasted the reality of living in a broken world, if you've tasted living in a world scorched by sin, or if you feel that in your own life. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, the one who meets us in our shame, the one who says you no longer have to hide 
from God. Instead, hide in me. I will clothe you with forgiveness and righteousness and love. And when we begin to understand that Jesus came for us, not as we should be, but as we really are, it gives us deep boldness and joy and confidence. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming into this broken world like a firefighter running into the fire that you did not start. You ran into this broken world, into the mess that we had made to be a rescuer. Lord, we pray that we would deeply hold on to what you've done for us on the cross, for your love that you have for us, and that we might see our lives progressively restored to the design God has made us with. And all God's people said,